0: and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Before we start this episode, I just want to tell you quickly about my new Aware Parenting Teenagers course. This course is now available on my website and I've designed it to support parents to explore the theory and practice of aware parenting and how it applies specifically to parenting in the teenage years. It is an in-depth journey into how this amazing life-changing approach helps us to develop these beautiful close and healthy relationships with our teens. So whether you're new to Aware Parenting or have been practicing this in your family for some time, this deeply supportive course will guide you to have more ease and connection and fun in parenting your teens. It is a self-paced study course with live rounds regularly throughout the year. Now, let's get on with this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really happy to be talking to Devon Harris. Devon, thanks so much for making time to come on and talk to me today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Joss It's an absolute honor to be here.
0: So Devon is a specialist in child and adolescent behavior, and she is an aware parenting instructor. She has a bachelor's degree in youth studies and a decade of experience working directly with young people in a variety of settings from prisons to playgrounds. That is a variety of settings. (laughs) Since becoming a parent in 2013, she has shifted her attention to supporting other parents to meet the developmental needs of their children, as well as to learn how to capitalize on undesirable behavior, seeing it as an opportunity to deepen trust and connection. Devon is passionate about natural learning and aware parenting, and she's also passionate about yoga, meditation, and travel. So thank you so much for making time. That sounds amazing experience. Yeah, thank you, Joss. I thought we'd start by asking you to share briefly how you came to aware parenting and how you came to be doing this and and offering this to other parents.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, I like to say that I came to parenting backwards because during when I was doing my undergraduate degree in youth studies in my household and in my day-to-day care, um, two teenagers who were transitioning out of being in the care of the state. So that was sort of my introduction to parenting, I guess. And that period was a phenomenal time of growth for me. um, And everything that I was learning in that time was coming from that developmental perspective which was really challenging, you know, the behavioralism that I was that I was raised in, and that so much of society runs on. And yeah, that that course it, it straddled the education department as well as a community development department at the university. So there was real value that was given to the work that we were doing. And I'd I'd always known that I wanted to work as a child advocate from from a young age myself and so after that after completing that course i went on and worked in several different organisations you near know, non-government state government federal government organisations which really gave me this solid understanding of the current systems and structures that are in place to support you know and to protect our, our young people um and yeah and with that came the uncomfortable awareness of how grossly inadequate those systems and structures are so it was Ten years later, that I was quite disillusioned and turned myself towards, you know, self inquiry, and ended a process of deep um, and quite lengthy experiences immersed in yoga and meditation, where I sort of unearthed a lot of those um, rep- repressed feelings. And I could really start to see all the places where I was holding on to the trauma around, you know, intergenerational trauma, childhood trauma, or even just, you know, societal traumas. Um, so when I became pregnant, now by this stage, I was quite acutely aware of my own patterns and cognitive biases. And just knowing the impact of carrying these, I really got quite focused on finding methods and ways That would mean that I could, that I would be able to parent in a way that I could raise an emotionally mature person and without allowing those things to impact my child. So fast forward a little bit. So after his birth, I was doing all of the right things. I was attachment parenting, but I was really stuck in that mode of self-sacrificing. So, you know, my child was thriving but I knew that I just couldn't maintain this long-term. I knew that I had needs too, and I knew that I wanted to belong to a family where all of our needs are met, where everybody's needs are met. And so I was searching for an alternative and went through quite a few different approaches. And And all of these approaches were great, all based on attachment parenting, but still didn't quite hit the mark. And it was after... I'd read the drama of the gifted child and was then very soon after that introduced to aware parenting and it resonated right away. And it just felt like, you know, I'd found home in that. And yeah, it was, it was amazing. I mean, it it didn't happen all right away. I had to do a lot of study (laughs) and despite everything that I'd already done. And even though I'd come from this, you know, developmental, you know, everything had come through a developmental lens, there was still so much unlearning that I needed to do. So that's yeah, that's that's how I came to aware parenting, I guess.
0: Well, that's a really interesting story, and it's it's interesting that you had that perspective of seeing so many children experiencing the impact of trauma in their lives through a quite a broken system designed to support them and that that then led you to do so much self-reflection through yoga and through meditation and and to start bringing your own awareness to your own intergenerational trauma and your own childhood trauma and to start to explore that before giving birth is, is such a gift to our children. And then it's such a common experience that I hear again and again, that so many of us come to this through this classical attachment parenting, where we want our children to have closeness and connection to us. And we want to be meeting their needs and prioritizing their care. And that we get this awareness that we are suffering, that it's not sustainable for us, that we're not thriving in that paradigm. And that something's missing and then we discover aware parenting and it is like people always talk about it being, and it was for me too, like this light bulb moment of, okay, here is the missing piece. This is how we can do it in a way that is really challenging, but that everybody's needs are going to get met and where everybody gets to heal and we get to still do all that lovely stuff of the attachment parenting that we were doing along the way. So, yeah, that's that's I hear that again and again. And I think it's just beautiful. So how did you first start using it in your family with your beautiful boy? And, and what about it did you first notice that was really resonating for you and that you could see it in action working in your family?
1: Hmm. Hmm. Okay. I mean, what really resonates with me that, that aware parenting is all about having our children grow into emotionally mature humans, right? Like it's for me, you know, emotionally mature humans don't wage war on others. They don't commit economic abuse. Emotionally mature people don't ever try to exert their power over others. Um, And instead, emotionally mature people, they attempt to resolve conflicts peacefully. They they seek to contribute to others in ways that's going to benefit everybody. Um, And they also seek to find and create opportunities that's going to empower other people as well. So, and that's what I see in my family. (laughs) That's what I see in return from with my child in interactions with my child. And when I watch him interacting with other people. Those are the qualities that he brings, that he brings to the
0: table. Wow. I love that. Yeah, because often we go into aware parenting thinking it's it's just all about supporting our child so they can go to sleep or have a tantrum. But I love the fact that you had this big picture so early on in the process of seeing what the results were going to be of parenting this way. So it wasn't so much what was happening in the moment, it was just it was about the impact of that big picture. And like you say, yeah, people who are raised in this way with compassion and connection grow up to be emotionally mature, intelligent, wise adults. And then the impact of that on at a societal level is, is just huge. And yeah, like you say, we're not having conflicts and wars and, and powering over each other. We are increasingly going to have humans who connect with each other in a respectful and empowering and creative way. It's such a such a beautiful thing to to be thinking of. And often parents say to us in our sessions, don't they, you know, what, how's this going to end up? What's going to happen if I parent my child this way? And so I love that description of, of that bigger societal level picture of the impact of this, because we often get very focused on our little micro, but actually there's this big macro level impact. So thanks so much for bringing that in.
1: Mm, yeah, it's 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 something that I definitely say to my clients too, that that one of my earliest realizations was that I'm not raising a child. Like that's not what I'm doing here. I'm I'm raising a person and that, that parenting is a long game. You know, it's I guess it's because of my experience coming to it backwards. But I encourage parents, you know, in our earliest sessions to actually say, well, w- well what do you envisage your child to be like at the age of 30? <laughs> like <laughs> what is it, how is it that you want them to be? at that time what is it that that you think they might be creating or experiencing or contributing to the world Mm. and then okay so what is it that we're doing now that is going to
0: stay true to that vision and what is it how would you like to share that in words with people I mean how is what we are doing now building emotionally mature adults in your in your mind
1: well, it, I mean, it's all about giving respect, really, isn't it? And when we, you know, we're parents and we talk about giving choice and autonomy and respecting another another sovereign being's, you know, sense of and need for agency. And so, with those pieces in place, it's it's about finding as many opportunities as we can during the day, because at the end of the day, there's there's always going to be a power imbalance. We're the adult. We're so much bigger than them. We've got the keys to the car. We've got the credit card. We can't deny that there's a power imbalance here, but we can look for as many opportunities as we can to make sure that they get this embodied visceral sense of having control, of having agency,
0: and of having autonomy. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's easy to underplay those human needs and for us to think that it's not such an important part of childhood, but it it is so crucial to this way of, of treating people with respect and, and consideration is acknowledging their opinions, their choices, their preferences, their desires, and finding ways to, to meet that. I love that. Mm, that's so nice. So if we talk about some of the tools of aware parenting, I mean, listening to feelings, for example, how how did that look initially? Was that something that came easily to you or is that something that you had to, to learn? And how was that parallel journey for you in terms of listening to your own feelings? I know you say you'd already done quite a lot of work, but there's nothing quite like motherhood to bring up what's what still needs our attention.
1: Yeah, look, I'd, I had done a lot of work and with the yoga, it was really about filling into sensations in our bodies. So I hadn't done the work of connecting those to some thought processes that might be happening. So I could do, I could very easily listen to feelings inside my own body with that, with that sense in mind. But when it came to doing it for my child, yeah, it was, it was a very, uh, (laughs) it was a very different approach that was, that was needed. But yeah, the foundation was there that meant that I knew that I could do it. Even though it was challenging, I knew that it could be done. And so, you know, I, I studied a lot at first, you know, under with Marion Rose, you know, for several years with her online courses and then with private mentoring as well. I had sessions with Aletha and I, you know, and I read all of the books and articles and did everything that I could. So it was a very intellectual process to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> but all the theory and all the study in the world, there's, no, there's, there's nothing better than the lived experience of aware parenting and there's there's no better teacher than your own child to walk you through that so having having that intellectual understanding having the support of mentors at that time and then practicing 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 with with my child meant that yeah I, I eventually got there and to, to now being in a place where it's one of my favorite things. You know, it's like, oh, Goody, he's got some feelings. And, and I get, you know, I get the honor and the privilege of listening to that now. This is amazing. Mm.
0: Yes, that really resonated for me, Dev. And I also did a lot of studying and reading and just like absorbing as much information as I could about all this in the early days and had lots of sessions too. And I think that's that's really important that I think. You know, all of us instructors had lots of sessions with Marion or with Aletha. And so uh, it was an integral part of my practice as well, initially, and finding challenging situations and then organizing sessions to discuss that and then trying new things. And, and so it, it is a, a process of trial and error. And there is a difference, isn't there, between saying, oh, yes, I understand that children can heal by crying. And wanting our children to release but it's really another thing that real deep embodied sense of welcoming all feelings however our children are showing up actually welcoming it and then making space as much as we can as much as we have capacity to to actually be there to listen
1: absolutely and noticing where we have the blind spots as well so my you know I noticed quite early on that it was easy for me to listen to feelings of sadness but much harder for me to listen to feelings of anger And later on finding out that it was actually even harder for me to listen to feelings of joy. So having having someone to walk alongside me to unpack all of those um, different nuances that that feelings come in all shapes and sizes. And Mm. I need to have a look at how it is that I'm listening to each of those different categories as well.
0: Mm, yeah I love you how you brought in that. I think it's initially I'd studied psychology and I knew all this stuff about psychology and but my emotional vocabulary was really limited and I was really stuck with only sadness, anger, confusion, disappointment. And then the more you understand about all this and all the different feelings that we're trying to welcome, it really helps to expand our our understanding of what emotions are. And instead of just categorizing things as good and bad, it's actually this huge range of different emotions and feelings that our children are bringing to us and what it brings up for us too. Did you have lots of support in in that process as well, in terms of getting listening for yourself, as well as actual support for implementing strategies? Great question. No.
1: (laughs) The short answer is no. I had zero support in my life at that time. I mean, I I had um, some fantastic community around me who were very well intended. So I started a group in my lounge room. As I started to uncover what aware parenting was, I thought, oh, I actually need to surround myself with community here. And what better way than to educate other people in the same way that I'm getting educated? So I had Lael Stone come up and present to my community so I'd have people to practice this approach with so I could find some listening partners within my local community. And so if I went to the grocery store, I would know that there'd be some people there who are understanding the way the way in which I'm parenting. So that was really yeah, developing community was something I had to do. It wasn't something that I had to begin with. And, you know, I, I was also a single parent, right? So, you know, I want to start by saying that there is so much that we can do alone. If, you know, if there are single parents out there, it definitely, definitely does not exclude you from from this style of parenting. There's so many single parents who are doing an incredible job. And I'm not saying that it can't be done, but I'm just saying that it's, it's harder to do alone. Parenting in partnership, parenting with other people brings all sorts of challenges in and of itself that you don't have when you're parenting solo. So it's not that it's, yeah, it's not that it's harder, it's that it's a different kind of hard. But I would also argue that, you know, parenting in partnership with others brings, it brings a higher quality of problems, if that makes sense. You know, it's like, Preferable problems, if you will. (laughs) So, yeah, so forming community was a really big part of it. Forming partnerships um, was a really big part of it. And I actively pursued that. And it didn't, it's not something that happened overnight. It's not even something that took several months. It took several years to develop a community that I could reliably lean on in order to get the support that I needed to stay grounded in the way parenting practices and principles.
0: Wow. Yeah. And um, we are designed to be raising our children in community. And, and I keep coming back to that because it, it's not just saying, well, it takes a village to raise a child, but actually as a species, <laughs> in order to be thriving, we evolved to be in community, to have lots of adults around us sharing this work and lots of other children around too. And so doing it in this single parent families is is so far removed from that. So of course it's difficult, of course, it's challenging. It's it's not how we evolved to live. And so it's inevitable that we're going to crave and yearn for community, for connection, for like-mindedness, for support. And sometimes we have to create that. And that in itself can be difficult because it often brings up resentment and sadness and, and lots of feelings for us that we're having to put in all this work to try and build community. So it's it's not easy.
1: Mm, yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, the, the reason that I was a single parent was because that I did have some difficulties in relating to other people, and it was so fortunate that aware parenting actually gives tools that we can utilise in all relationships, not just in relationships with our children. Right. So that empathic listening, you know, looking that to looking beneath the behaviour to the feelings driving it, you know, holding our partners. Or family or community members holding them in high esteem and knowing that that you know there's brilliance underneath whatever is going on which gives us courage to carry on in carry on in relationships that can be that can be hard
0: Mm -hmm. yep and what does listening look like now for you Devon Oh, (laughs) I'm surrounded by listening. So I
1: have one regular listening partner, but it's not unusual for me to have more than one. Um, But right now I've got one who I connect with on a weekly basis. I run a group in my lounge room now, just an informal community aware parenting group, which is more like my gift to the community as opposed to uh, me working as an aware parenting instructor. So I'm able to share in that group just as much as anybody else is so with those two pieces and also as a as an instructor i'm a member of this absolutely incredible incredible community of away parenting instructors and i know that if any at any point in time i have something difficult i can reach out to you know there's a hundred of us <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or even, or even more who are so willing to connect with me and then on a personal you know on a more personal level the relationships that I have developed over the last since discovering aware parenting have been developed in a in a whole different way you know there's a whole you know it's developed on the same principles of you know staying connected through disagreements for example so the quality of relationships that I've got now is so much deeper and wider and more supportive than anything I've ever experienced before in my life you know there's all of that warmth and even physical contact you know a hand on a hand or a hand on an arm you know maintaining eye contact and proximity all of that is is just ever present in my relationships and i have a really low tolerance for staying in relationships that don't have that level that level of depth for me anymore
0: mm. Oh, I really love that. Yeah. It's interesting how when we apply the same principles of aware parenting to how we're communicating with everybody in our life, particularly with friends, it does quickly become clear what friendships are providing that sort of nourishment that you crave and what friendships are just so far away from that and that aren't meeting your needs at all anymore. But it does give us this whole new language to speak in friendship, doesn't it?
1: Yes, it certainly does. And this this idea of empathic listening, it is quite different than when than what we do with our child. There's so much of it that's the same, but there's a marked difference in that, you know, when we're listening to our child, it's a one-way thing, right? Like <laughs> this is something that we're doing with our child. And with when we're doing this with other adults, it's not always about one listening to the other. But and, and it's not about taking turns either. That's you know, that's what we do in a listening partnership. But for me in my personal relationships now, it's about deciphering which one of us has the most capacity in this moment. If there's somebody who needs listening and trying to be diligent to ensure that it's still a reciprocal relationship and that both parties have an opportunity to be heard, but that it might not all take place at the same time, if that makes sense. And I guess an example of this in an intimate relationship, I'm still single, by the way, but I'm quite interested in getting into into an intimate partnership at some stage in the near future. So I've been thinking a lot about this. And and when I'm coaching parents as well, parents who are in in partnership, that during times of like childbirth and breastfeeding, for example, there's going to be long periods of time where one partner is going to need a lot more support than the other partner. (laughs) And this is where, you know, seeking that additional support outside the family home becomes even more vital. In order to maintain that and maintain the needs of both people,
0: yeah, it's interesting. And I think that the really key thing is learning to see behind behavior and recognize that relationship between behavior and feelings and unmet needs. And once you have that perspective, it's so much easier to have these interactions with friends, which are clear and respectful and connected. And, and nourishing without that judgment and harshness that quite often comes when there's conflicts in with friends, because we can see if our friends are behaving in a way that's difficult for us. That we can see what the needs are, we can see what the feelings are behind that behaviour. So it's it's that perspective as well as as those tools of listening that that makes it different.
1: Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. Just clear, respectful, connected, and nourishing. Those are sort of like the benchmarks of what we're going for in these personal relationships. We're going to be in pretty good, pretty good steed. I think, when we've got these tools with which to navigate that with.
0: Yes, yes. So what about things like play? Obviously, getting back to the actual, the strategies and tools that we're using with our kids. I know that's something that you really love. How did you find incorporating that into your parenting yeah know, look, play came really
1: naturally to me,
0: and it was something that was,
1: yeah, very easy from from the start. I know that it's not that way with a lot of with a lot of parents. And you know I wonder to myself if that was because it was just me in the household. And I didn't mind being a complete goofball because it was just me and my child. So I could do and say outrageous things and act like a a really embracing, get into nonsense play, which is one of the nine styles of attachment play that we use here in Aware Parenting. And so I could really see that coming from, see how my child would respond to that. There was lots and lots and lots of laughter in, especially in the early years. And I just, I got a kick out of it. I was like a, performer I was like a comedian <laughs> so that really you know we built a lot of momentum out of that that we and my child's now eight years old and play is still such a huge part of our life and it's our absolute first port of call if there's any you know conflict or issue but it's also just something we just sort of live now everything's a game everything's mm. a laugh
0: mm, yeah I love that I really love that. Such a powerful way of connecting. And I also had that same feeling of being really good at it and always being able to be silly and always being able to just find that lightheartedness. And, yeah, I mean, not always, obviously, but having capacity for that made it so easy. Can you talk a little bit about what sort of things you're doing in your family now? Your son's eight years old. What does attachment play look like with an eight-year-old? It looks a lot like theatre sports from drama class. (laughs)
1: Um, (laughs) so he he, he's a big thinker my child is a big thinker and a deep thinker so you know he's working on things he's trying to work out things right now like you know around war so a recent game we, we role played the, um, I think it was like the French and Italian embassies, you know, diplomats from the French and Italian embassies having a conversation and they ended up throwing spaghetti or I can't remember, mozzarella cheese at each other and there was an outbreak of war happened with kitchen goods and items and exploring it through that way, lots of laughter Outside, we were outside on the swing at the time. And it was a a, a game, you know, a, a, a talking game that went for about an hour and a half. And afterwards, you you know, I could see how much more settled he was. War is a really upsetting topic for, for children. It's in their faces um, so much more than ever was in my face as a child. You know, the media is everywhere. There's a TV screen everywhere that you go. It's impossible to avoid. Yeah, so I love it when he brings those those types of questions into our play, and we just get to get very silly with it.
0: Mm, yes, it's so powerful when we watch our children working out big things through play, and we can really literally see their their brain going tick, 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 to work out something that's really. There's such a like war what a difficult concept to to discuss in in a meaningful way with a child that leaves them feeling understanding but also empowered and and to bring laughter and, and humor into it it's just so powerful to watch
1: mm, yes it is and it, and the the beauty of this approach is that I don't need to think of the game like I didn't come up with that That was me being in this practised space of being open and receptive to where he wanted to go and what he was up to and holding this this understanding that, my gosh, my child's brilliant and has this innate healing mechanism and he knows exactly what he needs to do and where he needs to go. And my job is to, one, create the space and, and to show up as clear and clean as I possibly can and to follow his lead. You know, he came up with all of that on his own, <laughs> and I sort of, you know, was was just playing along with him. There's a there's a game in in drama called Yes and, which is I don't know if you've heard of that one. It's a theatre sports game. Yeah, so you, you, your your role is just to agree. I just agree with a, with whatever it is. Yes and if I I can add something to it if I want to, but. I don't ever need to, I'll just take what he's saying, you know, celebrate whatever it is and act it out, you know, to the best of my ability and know that he'll correct me if I get it wrong as well. And sometimes I do, but otherwise, you know, as long as I put on a funny accent and fall over a few times, I'm (laughs) going to get the next cue from him about where he needs to go with this next in order for him to resolve it within his, within his system.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And often i hear from clients as well saying things like i just i didn't know what game to play i just wasn't sure what to do or i couldn't think of anything in the moment and so much of it with attachment play is actually about like you say just bringing your presence to your child and then allowing them to take the lead and they're geniuses at play we don't have to be we really don't have to have any ideas at all we just have to bring our loving connection to our children again and again and allow them to play and then Be willing to be silly and follow their lead. And they just come up with the most incredible ideas time and time again, don't they? And often, if we can't think of anything, often all we need to do is to make a game out of the fact that we can't think of anything and just be like, oh, no, I can't think of anything. What am I going to do now? No. Or when they want to play with us, just going, no, I don't want to play. Please don't make me play. And then that that becomes the game. And then they take it wherever they need it to go. So it's so, it's so nice to remind parents that they don't have to be like, thinking in the moment oh now I wonder if I should do a little bit of nonsense play now or would it be appropriate to do symbolic play or maybe this is a moment for regression play it just doesn't have to be like that you just follow their lead.
1: Absolutely that's that is that is absolutely it you know it's it's this way Play is a way that we sort of we can get out in front without ever leading right like it's a wild phenomenon and in you know, in my household now, play is king, right? I value play right up there with sleep and eating. You know, it's something that gets scheduled into our day. You know, it's like, I don't miss a night's sleep. I'm not going to miss a day's play. Like it's, it's does not get left out of our, left out of my schedule. I give it lots of space and we have that, you know, one of the nine styles is in the non-directed child-centered play. I make time for that every day. And I, yeah, and I schedule it a lot because in our family we've got some significant challenges, and I know lots of people do, but, you know, and so some people that are happy with 20 minutes a day, but I, my family, we have an hour a day of that, like, and I really, I, I really protect that and really
0: value that. Wow. That's amazing, Devon. That's so amazing. What a beautiful lucky boy. <laughs> yeah. What do you do when you have moments where you're like, I, I just don't have it in me to play today? Do you, or do you not ever have those moments? Oh, like you
1: said I play with that as you just said I can't possibly play you can't make me play oh no this is the worst thing in the world no this is a disaster I'm going to bed right now and I'll go and put myself in bed you can't make me play no <laughs> that becomes the game like you yeah. said it doesn't it doesn't matter what the game is <laughs> but as long as the the playful the playful attitude is there it we just stay with it and it wasn't always I did say that yes play was easy for me right from the very beginning it doesn't Doesn't mean that it's easy for me every single day and all the time. And yeah, there's definitely been times where, where where I've needed to call or line. And it might be more so for me. It might be okay. This is an unsafe environment. There's there's people around who've got you know who hold particular you know have particular values or are going to be holding particular judgments. It's actually not safe for us to be playing here right now in this way. And I will explain that to my child. I'll say. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm sensing. Let's let's not. I'm more like I'm not willing to. I'm not willing to play right now. I'm sorry, sweetheart. I understand how important play is. I know that it really matters, and I really do. Like I, I get that. Me telling him not to play right now is like me waking him up at three o'clock in the morning and telling him, No, no, no. Sorry, you're not allowed to sleep. It's the <laughs> so when I'm when I'm saying that he can't do it, I'm doing it with a with a lot of compassion and understanding around what it is that I'm asking for him.
0: Mm. Wow. So that sort of brings us nicely into having a, a bit of a conversation about loving limits, because that's sort of what you're talking about, isn't it? How how easy was that as a concept for you to grasp? And what what did you find easy? What did you find challenging about it? And what do you understand about it now that you didn't initially
1: Mm. I mean, that's about 10 so,
0: questions in one,
1: sorry. No, I I love it. <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what Loving Limits is. It's it's holding it's holding paradox. You're saying yes and no at exactly the same time, right? It's it's no to the behavior, yes to the feelings underneath. And being able to do that is some sort of mental, emotional gymnastics to to be able to, to hold both of those. With, with ferocity and with strength because you need to have ferocity and strength um, in equal parts to love and compassion, right, <laughs> a yes and a no. It's not an easy thing to do and I had a lot of support in, in, from Marion as she was you know, introducing this, this concept and this term to the aware parenting community yeah, so I, I I guess I sort of grew into it alongside um, my colleagues and other aware parenting practitioners, and it's been absolutely invaluable. And I think the what I've found most precious about this concept of loving limits is. Yes, it's something that works brilliantly with my child and I know that I never have to shame him anymore or, you know, go into power over anymore or any of those other, you know, regretful strategies that don't end up working in the long term. But more so how I treat myself. So how it is that I, you know, deal with my own ideas around, you know, the ways in which I might seek to repress my feelings and emotions at certain times or, you know, different choices that I might be making that I deem to be unhelpful, that I can, yeah, I can give myself these loving limits and say to myself, oh, yes, yes to all of the feelings that are driving this. And no, I'm not willing for you to to take that action at this time.
0: Mm, Yes. It was a really powerful moment when I understood that I could set loving limits with my children and say no in a way that was fine and allowed them to access feelings and then feel completely fine about the no. But also to then apply it to myself was a really big moment, I think, in my parenting journey. It's still a work in progress, but that sense of acceptance and welcoming and curiosity and self-connection and self-compassion and that sense of no, no, I'm not, I'm not willing for you to do this. Um, mm. And it's a really great way of changing. I found it really helpful for like, changing in a dialogue from quite a harsh one about judgment of myself and comparison and, and just criticism of myself. Yeah. To, yeah, to being but- so much kinder, and that felt, that then has a positive impact on our children because the more we're speaking to ourselves with self compassion, the more fluent we are in compassion speak, and then, so the more compassionate we are with them, and so on. So, yeah, that I'm really glad that you brought in that loving limits for ourselves. That's really powerful.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love that you've just named that no, it doesn't have to be a judgment. It doesn't have to be a criticism. Like there's, there's, we can say no to something without those two pieces attached. It doesn't have to be shameful. doesn't have to be a criticism. It doesn't have to be a judgment. And we can say no. Mm. Um, it's it's a bit, the most incredible, you know, it's, it's a precious gift. And I love being able to share it with other parents because I see what you've just described, that that light bulb go on and, and
0: people just feel such a sense of relief
1: mm. in going, oh, gosh, I can I can say no to things. Excellent. Mm.
0: <laughs> and it's actually the core thing that helps with aware parenting because other than that, if, if the feelings aren't coming, then we are either going to have to find a way to placate our child in that moment and agree to whatever it is that they're asking for or demanding of us. Or we're going to have to go into that harsh authoritarian, the way we were raised, kind of response of shaming, shouting, no. So to actually grasp that this is an offering for our child and for ourselves to be able to invest a small chunk of time right now in order to make life easy again and for everybody to feel balanced. It's just so incredibly powerful.
1: Absolutely, and the and the third one is that it doesn't then negates the need for introducing trauma triggers, which is you know what psychologists would use. We're giving loving limits at home, and like you said, children are then allowed you know allowed to release these beautiful feelings. Then yeah, we don't get a backlog of those. We don't get an accumulation of those. We don't get the you know sets of behaviours that then mean that we need to seek outside help. Yeah, (laughs) we can head all of that off.
0: Yeah, wow. And that's so empowering for parents, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. What about things like not having punishments and rewards? Is that something that was easy for you to incorporate? I mean, presumably if you were attachment parenting anyway, that was probably part of your style. But was that, is there anything that you'd like to say about that?
1: It was. And I guess, you know, there is a lot that I'd like to say about that. And I, I mean, I knew this from, a, from very early on, you know, through my studies and through the early work that I did, particularly with young people in prison, which is that, Punishments don't work (laughs) under any circumstances. You might get the behavior, you know, the behavior that you want initially for for a short period of time. But but if you've got a child who's particularly precocious or intelligent in any way, eventually, Eventually, they are going to come to a point where they say, no, you don't have the right to punish me. You are not, you know, you don't have, have power over me and I'm going to exercise my own rights in my own way. And that can, that's either going to come out in a dysfunctional way or it's going to come out with them choosing not to be around a person who dishes out punishments. So that one, that part of it was easy. The reward part of it was not so easy for me. I was very big on verbal praise which is a which is which is a form of reward and yeah I needed to do I needed to have a lot of adjustment around that in learning how to praise the process and not the not the outcome and just really Reflecting, you know, and I just had to practice this over and over again because it was an automatic reflex to to just go, "Oh, look at you! Aren't you wonderful?" And to come back to this, "Oh, you seem really pleased with what you've done," and just you know, noticing what he was looking like, and then just reflecting back to him what I saw him doing. And so it was really a, a matter of replacing my habitual reward response with a with a new habit, a
0: new way of, of responding to him. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think it is clearer for so many parents that punishments are detrimental to your relationship and they don't work. They certainly don't work long term. And it is often harder to grasp why we don't want to be having rewards and and that sort of praising on our children. But again, it's so clear and uh, Lisa, when I was talking to her last week, she really helped me to clarify as well how you know children cannot heal from stress and trauma if they're in an environment where there's punishments because they don't feel that emotional safety, and our children can't experience us as unconditionally loving them if we are rewarding them and praising them in those ways. So it's a it's a parallel process understanding both of those aspects of of this element.
1: Mm, Yes, yes, yes. And and, and not a um, physiological sense, in addition to that, there's this hijacking of the dopamine system that that goes on when we continually praise our children, which ends up robbing them of their their intrinsic motivation because, you know, dopamine is this molecule of motivation. It's this molecule of wanting to do more. And when we praise, 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 they just end up wanting to do less, less, less. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yep. So, so helpful to understand that, isn't it? So helpful. So, did you have you had situations where you've had to navigate? Other people's judgments and criticisms within your family or within your social network of, of aware parenting and, and how have you navigated that process? That's something that often comes up. Either partners or parents or siblings or friends who are just like not understanding this way and where it's, it's triggering a lot of stuff for them.
1: Um, okay, so I've got a quite a unique situation and in that. Prior to pregnancy, um, I had a realisation of that um, a lot of the relationships in my life were not, uh, not very functional and not very healthy, um, so I had to choose to cease having contact with the vast majority of my family members. So I didn't have any of those issues when my child was born and, mm-hmm. you know, I mean there were there were a few, like there were a few that needed to be navigated, but it wasn't around judgement on my parenting style. I really kept all of that at, at arm's length, and like I said, when it came time to me, time for me to build community, I was really building it through the aware parenting, through the aware parenting lens. Yeah, based on that. Mm,
0: mm. Well, that has its own costs to you not having those relationships, but I suppose one of the advantages is not having to navigate that because that is often quite challenging for for families.
1: Absolutely. It is super, super challenging. And I think um, had they been around, yes, I would have had a really different experience of it. And I do, there are some family members that I do still, that I have still maintained contact with, and and who are credibly respectful of um, the parenting, not just respectful, but interested in the parenting style that I have and in this approach.
0: Mm. Right. So what about your visions? Because we talk a bit about this in our beautiful aware parenting instructors meetings what what are your visions for aware parenting especially cuz you started with the big picture how's your has your view of the big picture now
1: <laughs> my view of the big picture it hasn't changed i mean it hasn't changed since i was an idealistic 15 year old which is you know this is this is the paradigm that's going to take over the world that we will live in an entire community that deeply respects and honors the experience of you know babies and of children holds them in incredibly high esteem and holding their needs, their desires, their, you know, their interests, their passions, um, and just, yeah, I believe that there's such leadership that comes from our children when we are able to listen to them in a way that the guidance, um, you know, the wisdom that they bring to the table, you know, the freshness and the innovation and different way of looking at the world. You know, we look at it and we're like, oh, it's so naive that you're thinking that or you're so idealistic. And I'm like, yeah. Brilliant! Bring that. (laughs) Like that's what we want here. That's that's exactly what we want. That's how we evolve. That's how we grow. That's how we change. And this way of parenting, in in which the current paradigm where we're shutting that down left, right, and centre, even if if it's through our schools or if it's through parenting, we're we're effectively shooting ourselves in the foot. You know, we're cutting ourselves off from this incredible opportunity to
0: to grow. Yeah. I love that. Yes, I totally agree. Absolutely. <laughs> Amazing. So Devon, how can people find out more about you and your offerings and, and what, what are your offerings at the moment? What, what do you provide for the community in terms of services and support?
1: Well, if anyone's ever in Dalesford, which is my hometown here in Victoria, I have a weekly group and you'd be so welcome to come and visit with us. We would love that. Um, But otherwise, I do one-to-one sessions um, over Zoom. So if you're anywhere in the world and you want to get in contact with me, I could leave my email address. But otherwise, I'm on on Facebook and
0: LinkedIn. Okay. I'll put those notes in the show description. Thanks so much for sharing that. And... Eve, I always ask at the end if there is something that you would have loved to have known right at the beginning of this process to have made the journey easier for young mum Devon, what what would you say to her now? Hmm.
1: I would say that nothing that's happening is your fault. I would say that, you know, the unenjoyable things that you're experiencing are a result of uh, of the cultural soup in which we all swim. It's super hard, right? Like, but I'd also add to that it's not anybody's fault that there is there's no one to blame in this. And at the same time that it's nobody's fault, it's also everybody's responsibility. So I would say to myself, own your small part in this. I've got a saying, which is start, um, it's not mine, it's somebody else's, it's start where you are, use what you have and do what you can. So in this context, it would mean, you know, educate yourself, practice radical self-care, show up as the best aware parent that you can every day in every possible way, even if it's only in some small way. Learning is a process to go gently, but for the love of God, just keep going.
0: Yes. Wow, what a beautiful message. Yes, 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 yes. So powerful and gentle and hugely impactful at the same time. Wow. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Devon, for making time to come and talk to us all today. I've really loved this conversation and I look forward to connecting with you again. Thank you so much, Charles. Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures.